Children's Church. The rest of us, let's turn to a very familiar passage as we get started this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And I'd like for us to read through these verses this morning. Uh, So Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to start reading uh, in verse 8. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Let's read one more time. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, when we talk about salvation, uh, of course, there's uh, many different uh, philosophies. And if you were here for Sunday school, uh, the Jewish people, the Pharisees, and they thought that they were saved because they were descendants of Abraham, that they had a relationship with God that uh, that just because they were who they were, that God loved them and, and saved them. Uh, if you come from a, uh Arminian uh, background, and, and uh, that takes its form in many different uh, Protestant groupings today, uh, they believe that God is a God of love and that He would never send anybody to hell, and so eventually everybody would be saved. Uh, we don't have to read the Bible very far to find out that that's not true. Because there are people in the Bible that are mentioned that are going to suffer God's eternal judgment. Uh, if you want to go just as wrong to the other extreme, you adopt the, the philosophy, uh, which is what it is. It's not theology. The philosophy of Calvinism that God had, uh, if I may just put this in its proper perspective, held a cosmic bingo game. The winners go to heaven, the losers go to hell, and the people here on earth who were the, uh, uh, the beads in the game, the numbers in the bingo game, they have nothing to do with it. Now, I can't find that in the Bible anywhere. And uh, I would challenge you. To, to read your, your Bible. You see, the Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith. This morning, I'd like to preach on three words out of the Bible. Grace, faith, and glory. You see... Let's let's just turn there. Turn with me. Let's let's get our fingers working here. Titus chapter two, if you would. And by the way, if you're keeping up with your Bible reading schedule, you should read the book of Titus today. You'll read the entire context here. Uh, only three chapters long. Don't be afraid. Follow your Bible reading schedule. Amen. Titus chapter two, and let's look at verse eleven. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared 
to, what's those last two words? Would you read those out loud with me? Let me start over again. And when we get to the last two words, we're going to read them all out loud. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to, together, all men. Does that leave anybody out? Well, what about the aborigines in Australia? That's uh, someone who does not want to believe that salvation is through Jesus Christ alone. That's one of their favorite questions. What about the aborigines in Australia? And my, uh, my answer is always this, what about them? I said, well, they haven't had uh, this and they don't know this. And no human contact in 3,000 years. I say, excuse me. Have you been around for 3,000 years? Uh, do the aborigines have a written history that goes back 3,000 years? What you are doing is you are making assumptions that cannot be verified. And if I have to trust the unknown to the character of God or the national pornogra- I mean geographic crowd, who am I going to trust? I think I can trust what I cannot know to the character of God. And so then the question becomes, what are you going to do with the grace of God? You're trying to use something that you cannot know and that no one can know and no one can verify to justify your refusal of the grace of God. Now, if that makes sense to you, Please see me afterwards, and I will sell you the Brooklyn Bridge at a great price. I promise I'll put the money in missions. If you're that foolish, let's just get it over with. Amen? Uh, the, The simple truth of the matter is, the grace of God, according to the Scripture here, hath appeared to all men. How do we know that? Well, read the next verse teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Uh, Let's go back to our favorite topic, the aborigines. Do aboriginal societies have marriage? Yeah. Where'd they get that? Um. In aboriginal society, is murder a punishable offense? Absolutely. wonder where they got that idea. Well, right here, it tells us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly. This idea of righteousness and unrighteousness has been a part of everywhere man is found because of the grace of God that bringeth salvation, teaches us that we are sinners. You know, I, I've met some people and, and they tried to tell me, well, before, before I knew the Bible, I didn't think that anything was wrong. Uh, Excuse me? How many of you had to be taught that murder was something you shouldn't be involved in? How How many of you had to be taught that P 
people practicing the morals of animals, just cohabiting with whoever, whenever, however. How many of you had to be taught that that was wrong? Even a little child knows in their heart the approach of a pervert, of a wicked person. That's the grace of God, my friend. It's there. You see, God's grace, Ephesians chapter 2, for by grace are ye saved through faith. You have grace. What, what you need is faith. If you're having a problem trusting Jesus as your Savior, grace is not your problem. Faith is your problem. Now, two years ago, we spent the entire year. Faith cometh by and hearing by. So where do you need to be? In church. And may I just put this uh, caveat in there? I do not claim to be the world's greatest preacher, but I do claim to preach the only truth of God, the greatest book that we have, God's revelation. Amen? Now, I want you to turn with me to John chapter 1, if you would. John chapter 1. And we're going to examine this first word here. We're going to examine grace. Grace is a wonderful thing. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly in this present world. God's grace is there. Now, let's just start reading in verse 15 of John chapter 1. And this is the testimony of John the Baptist, not the same John that is the author of the book, who was the, one of the disciples of Jesus Christ. But John the Baptist here, verse 15, John bear witness of him and cried, saying, this was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. You know, there's an awful lot said about grace today that just simply isn't true. Just like any other great truth in the Bible. Grace is the ability to understand I'm a sinner. Do you know how many hundreds of millions of dollars are spent on psychiatry and counseling and psychiatric drugs, all in an attempt to make wicked men and women feel better about their wickedness. We have special floors of hospitals that are dedicated to those that have no physical illness whatsoever. 
But if we were to release them from that, those hospital rooms and, and that confinement and take them off that medication, we have uh, every uh, evidence to believe that they would do harm to themselves or to others. And, and so, uh, what do you do with a human being that is uh, uh, determined to destroy themselves? you got to do something. And if they won't accept the answer that is in the Scriptures, uh, I hate to say this, but those special floors and those special hospitals and uh, offers the only other thinkable alternative to a society who actually does not want to see people hurt themselves and hurt other people. It's, it's a sad and, and, and terrible story. But here, it says in verse 16, And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. See, grace is so often mistaken for being nice. Uh, Who was it? Oh, it was Martha Stewart, gracious living. All those, okay, I'm sorry. If you like that stuff, have at it. Uh, all those beautiful colors and, and heavy silverware. and I, I just, listen, I, I like a simple life. How about you? Uh, one fork gets the job done. And if you need to trade between dessert and dinner, lick it off, okay? (laughs) Why? Why do we go to all this problem? Oh, because we want to be refined. Well, I'm not for making loud, obnoxious noises at the table and other terrible things. uh, But that's not grace. How many people live in this world that cannot? You could take this book called the Bible and you could read it to them 24 hours a day. You could beat them to death with it. And they could not accept one word of this book is true. How many people live in this world like that? And yet, they still have a knowledge of sin. Do they not? They try to convince themselves that what they're doing is righteous even though it's wicked. And so how did the hijackers, some of the men that participated in the terrorist attacks of 9-11, how did they celebrate their last night of life before they gave their lives to murder innocent people that had no part in the conflict? They went to a strip club and got drunk 
and expended every last penny on the pleasures that sin would buy them. All in the holy name of their God. Can I say I'm thankful that my God never, ever endorses that type of celebration? And can I say that the God of this Bible never endorses the killing of other people? Now, when we have wars, you have to read the Bible. And we don't have time to discuss all of those things. If you want to argue about that, be my guest. But the Bible says that David, one of the greatest warriors in the Bible, was a man after his own heart. So, you you deal with that. What we're talking about here is murder. God never endorses murder. No Bible-believing Christian has ever taken the sword to defend Jesus Christ because he does not need defending. He is my defender. But what I'm trying to help us understand something is that grace of God that teaches us that sin is sin. You need to exchange that for the grace of God to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what this phrase means. Of, it says, His fullness, of His fullness, let's get it right here, and of His fullness have all we received. Every person has been influenced by the grace of God. Any honest person, all you have to do is get out of the city lights and look up at the stars at night. Or get one of those picture books of the Hubble telescope in space. And if you can say that there is not a God, you must first purposefully deny Him in your heart. You see, that's the grace that we've all received. I was raised in church. Uh, I like one preacher said this. He said, I had a drug problem growing up. Every Sunday morning, my parents drugged me to church. And Sunday night, they drugged me again. And midweek service, they drugged me again. In fact, every time the doors were open, they drugged me to church. That's a good drug problem. Amen. In fact, it became an addiction. Now I'm a preacher. Amen. And I can't stay away from the place. That, that's not a bad thing to have happen. You see, I grew up in a Christian home, but I bet I prayed a thousand prayers asking Jesus to save me all before I was 11 years old. I'd been told by a Sunday school teacher that if you, if you ask Jesus to save you and really mean it, he'll save you. Could anyone in this auditorium define what really mean it? Actually, the definition of those words. As I grew up, I went back and re-examined that struggle in my early years and, and realized that the only word that we might could put in there is sincerity. Can sincerity save you? No way. You see, it's not sincerity that saves you, it's grace. That saves you. 
And right here it says, we all, I, I love the wording here because you can't read it fast. You just can't read through verse 16. And of his fullness have all we received. We, we wouldn't put that in the wording in that context in modern English. But it makes you slow down and makes you understand that we, every human being has been exposed to the grace of God. But if you're going to know Jesus in any real way that's going to help you escape the eternal judgment of God, you've got to take that grace that helps you understand you're a sinner and bring it to Jesus Christ and ask for grace to help him under, help you understand he is the only Savior. You see, that's why it says grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. You see, salvation is not in any church. It's not in any organization. It's not in any amount of good works. It's not in any ritual you can participate in. If you want that grace of God, you must come to Jesus Christ believing that He is the only salvation of mankind. And when you get that grace, it opens the floodgates for God's grace to permeate every part of your life. Amen? How many people have grace? Everybody does. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. But all men will not be saved, contrary to the uh, doctrine of the Arminian. And, and the fact that God's grace has appeared to all men already puts a hole in the hole of the philosophy of Calvinism and sinks it to the bottom of the sea of man's reasoning. Because you, man cannot explain God. But you can take the grace that God gave you and the conviction of your sin and turn it in for grace that will save you for all eternity. What's the next verse say there? Let's make sure we get that one in. Verse 17. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Verse 18. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father... He hath declared him. You see, how many people have claimed special revelation from God through the centuries? Some of the stories are really, if, if they weren't so pathetic, they'd really be funny. How many of you remember Herbert W. Armstrong? Does anybody remember him? He used to have a television program. And he's sitting there in a the chair with his back to you. And he'd pick up the phone and go, Hello, God, and spin around so everybody get a look at his face. Now, I don't mean to be crude this morning, but anybody stupid enough to think you could talk to God on a telephone? Why would you follow him? Why would you listen to someone foolish enough to think that he could contact God through then AT&T lines. How, how silly does it get? Well, it, it gets worse. There was a man here in the United States, actually, upstate New York. 
that claims that he dug in a hole as directed by an angel and found golden plates and a special pair of glasses that he could read those golden plates. And that he, through putting on those glasses and being mystically transformed into being able to read those plates, was able to decipher God's final revelation to mankind. How many of you would like to know that later on he was actually put on trial for some of his claims? And a person held up before him a Greek alphabet and a Hebrew alphabet and asked him to tell which was which and he couldn't tell the difference between the Greek and the Hebrew alphabet, let alone read anything. And yet he's the founder of the Mormon faith. How foolish does it get? We could go on and on. But you see what what grace does? Is when I understand I'm a sinner. That's God's grace. Then I come to God. The God. The only true God. The God of this book called the Bible. And I believe in Him. I've received grace for grace. And I can lay aside all of the foolishness and all of the deception. We were driving somewhere, my wife and I, the, uh, this week, and I had the, uh, the radio on, and this guy comes on. Would you like to know the truth? of Jesus Christ in this society in which we live and find the peace from all the frustration and all the anxiety. And then came a little phrase, to realize the peace of God that's latent within you. And I was sitting there going, boy, it almost sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Tune in to the Christian Science Reading Room on WOR. Does anybody know who the founder, not Scientology, but the Christian science religion? Her name was Mary Baker, Eddie Glover Patterson. She had eight different husbands. She was buried with a telephone line because she promised her believers that death was only a medical, metaphysical curtain that she would reach beyond and she would telephone them from the grave. And the Christian science religion paid for that telephone line for I don't know how many decades. Being me, I, I would have loved to go out to the graveyard, scrape the wires, tap into that line and call. Just to freak the people out. Sorry. That's that's human nature. Good thing I'm a preacher. God represses some of that. Amen? Trust me, the phone call was never made from under the ground. Because death is an impassable barrier that God has established. And once you pass through, God's grace is no longer extended to you. You must have it before you reach that time. Before you pass through, 
If, if you are passed through the valley of the shadow of death with God's grace, that's all it is, is a shadow. But if you pass through the valley of the shadow of death, its curtain drops forever. If the only grace that you have is that which teaches your sinner. You must have grace for grace to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. What was the other word that was found in, in Ephesians chapter 2, 4, by grace through as you're turning to Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 1, grace through faith. Now, we understand faith cometh uh, by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Let's look at verse 16 of Romans chapter 1 and read down through here. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from... What's that? Those next three words there. Faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, let's look in here very carefully. Verse 17, it says, for therein. Now, when the Bible says therein, that means there's something in Whatever there is. Amen? Not, not a complicated thing here. I'm not trying to be tedious this morning. But so many times we miss what's in God's Word because we're careless in our reading of it. It says, for therein. So whenever I see that, I want to find out wherever it is that what, what is in there is in so that I can find it. Amen? And so, whatever there is referred to, let's go back to the verse before it, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Ah, that is the vessel. The gospel of Christ is the there that the in is found. It says, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed. The righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would, would that be an amazing statement to anyone here this morning? I, I would hope not. You'd say, but I can't tell you how many times I've read that verse, those verses, and I'm going, wow, that's cool. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed. God's righteousness is made plain to us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. How does that work? You can only get your sins forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. That makes God righteous. You know why? Because He accepts no other payment for sin than the blood of Jesus Christ. What kind of God would it be if you could work your way to heaven. I remember as a freshman in Bible college, one of my fellow students, we had a class on personal evangelism, which was sharing the gospel. And uh, one, of my, uh, one of my fellow students says, I've got a paper my grandfather got from the Pope, and, 
in the early 1900s. And uh, our professor, uh, a, a very revered elderly gentleman at that time, said, yeah, bring us in. And, and so he brought it in, and of course it was all in Italian, but they, uh, uh, the, the student understood it and read it, and he said, this is a plenary indulgence. It allows this man, his, great, his grandfather, and all of his descendants after him to be free from every sin, moral, mortal and venial, all, all the bad ones and all the lesser ones, forever. And you know how he got that piece of paper? This was like 1919 or 1920. He gave the Pope the equivalent, um, not the equivalent, in those days he gave the Pope a million dollars. How much would that be today? Probably 50 million, something along those lines. And that Pope gave him a paper, says, you're free from every sin that you've ever sinned, and not only you, but your children, your grandchildren, your great-great-great-grandchildren, no matter what they do, their sins are all forgiven. Can I ask you a question? If you believed in a God that could be bought out for money, What kind of God would he be? A God that catered to the rich and punished the poor? Isn't it amazing how all of our social justice proponents today who run around proclaiming this doctrine of social injustice and uh, cultural equality and all of this stuff Travel around in chartered jets and limousines and all of that kind of. They don't live like we live. Because they're so smart, they, they need to live better than we do. How righteous is that? You see, communism on its outset sounds so wonderful. Everybody should have everything they need. Yes. Well, how are you going to make that happen? We're going to take it from the rich and give it to the poor. Do you know if you took every person in the United States who had a net worth of over a million dollars and stripped them of every possession and distributed it evenly to every person in the United States, in less than six months it wouldn't make any difference in the world. It'd all be gone. Why? Because many people who are poor are poor on purpose. How many of you ever heard the story of that guy, he started out with a nickel and in a week had made $100,000 in a month made a million dollars by trading a nickel for this and trading that for this and this and this. I mean, if you took everything that guy had, it wouldn't be long before he had it all and was a rich man again, now would it? Because that's just human nature. God's made us different. You see, the problem with socialism and communism is somebody has to take everything from the rich to distribute it, and once they get it, You think they're going to let go of it? 
We have people here that lived under the Soviet boot. Did those, after they stripped all the people of their wealth, did they distribute it equally or did they keep a share for themselves? Well, we don't have to go through history very much to debunk that whole thing. Hey, how about we come back to the point that the righteousness of God is revealed through the way that he saves us. That no matter who you are or what you've done, if you're willing to come to Jesus Christ, he will save you. You know, I've had people over the years tell me, I, I, I won't believe in a God that will save a homeless wretch the same way He saves me. And I said, well, you, you need some grace. Because you need to understand that in God's eyes, your sin is no, no less than His sin. In fact, your sin is greater because you've got a hold of something called pride, the most grievous sin in the entire Scripture. It was the sin that turned Lucifer, son of the morning, into the devil. The sin of pride, of thinking of oneself and one's accomplishments. And how does God take care of pride? By making us all get saved exactly the same way, through the blood of Jesus Christ. You see... The more you study salvation, the more you're going to understand how righteous and how wonderful and how good our God is. How simple and how true the Bible is. And how vastly superior it is to any philosophy or theology that belongs to man. The only true theology that is out there is the one that says... He came to seek and save those who are lost. Can we say amen to that? For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. How many religions out there teach all of these things that you must do and all of these works that you must attempt So that one day, maybe, as you stand before God, He will judge you righteous enough to enter heaven. 90% of all religion. Amen? That's what it is. But here it says, from faith to faith, the just shall live by faith. You see, I don't need to do good works. I don't need to make God pleased with me. I don't need to earn His mercy and His love. His grace provides all of those things. And when I, by faith, believe in Jesus as my Savior, I now am free from personal ambition and personal accomplishment, and I can actually love another human being and not have to expect something back. Could I challenge you the number one reason for divorce is selfishness. You know what the Bible word for selfishness is? Pride. 
there that thing comes again, isn't it? See, from faith to faith. You know how much faith it takes in God to stand up and be considered a man in this society in which we live? And you're going to be spit on and hated by every group out there, except other Bible-believing Christians. And by the way, since when did Clint Eastwood define what a man is? Only in stupid, filthy, violent Hollywood movies. We'll be talking about that a little more on Father's Day. Amen? But you see, faith, could I challenge you that Jesus Christ defines the ultimate in manliness and manhood? Amen? Well, how am I going to get to be like Christ? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's turn to our last passage this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, if you would. It said I wanted to preach on three words, grace, faith, and the last word is glory. And I put an exclamation in my notes, and I hope that the Scripture will allow you to put an exclamation point in your heart and in your mind. 2 Corinthians 3. And let's start in verse 17. We're going to read down through chapter 4 in verse 3. Now the Lord is that Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the Word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid... It is hid to them that are lost. Grace for grace. Faith to faith. And glory to glory. You see, the liberty that is spoken about in verse 17 is the freedom that Jesus Christ gives us from sin from ourself, from self-deception. You know, if no one else will believe your lies, you will. You know, that's, that's why we men, we can look in the mirror. Look at that. There's hardly a gray hair, gray hair in there. Until you go to the barber shop. I don't weigh that much more than I did. I'm not that much fatter than I was when I was 17. Only in the mirror of your imagination, my friend. We do all kinds of things to deceive ourselves. But if you want to be set free from yourself, 
from your sin. Set free to understand God. You've got to receive His grace. You've got to move from elementary faith to living by faith. You know what that's going to make you do? If you're doing this, you are going to become interested. The right word would be consumed with trying to learn more about Jesus. That's why it says beholding. We need to look at Jesus, my friend. How much do you know about Jesus? Read second, uh, 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 yes, Second Peter chapter one. It says that all things are given unto us that pertain unto life and godliness through what, the knowledge of Him. Do you have everything you need to live life and be godly, or are you still struggling? How many would say, preacher, I'm still struggling. I mean, my hands up. I- I'm working on that. Well, then I don't have all things because if I had all things. I wouldn't be struggling. Well, how am I going to get all things? Through knowing Jesus better. You see, that's where church comes in. That, that's what our services are about. That's why you need to be here more than just Sunday morning. Sunday school time, or through the Bible we call it, you're going to learn the Bible stories. It's taken us 25 years to get completely through the Bible uh, eight times. And, and we're not quite there yet. We've got to get to the resurrection of Jesus. And once we're in the Gospels now, once we get there, we'll, we'll start our ninth journey through the Scriptures. And uh, what are we going to do? We're just going to keep doing it. Because every time we go through those stories, I hear something new. I learn something new. How about you? Our morning service is preaching. We want to bring you face to face with this book and ask God to help you change your life in a real way that will draw you closer to Him. Our Sunday night service is our prayer meeting. We try to keep that as, as practical and how to live the Christian life as possible. And how are you going to learn how to pray? I don't know how many people have asked that. And I said, listen, if you want to learn how to pray, get with some people that know how to pray. Come Sunday night, get down on your knees beside somebody that knows how to pray. Uh, They'll teach you. This book will teach you how to pray. Amen? Thursday night. Well, right now we're going through a series on hard sayings. These are the passages when you're reading the commentaries that the commentator skips over. Why? Because if he really wrote what the passage means, people might not buy his commentary. And so they'll skip over that part, or maybe they just don't want to understand what the Bible says. But let's get back to our text here. It says, But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. How many magic mirrors are there in the fantasy world? Oh, my. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who is the ugliest one of all? You are, my dear. Um, I think that actually comes from Bugs Bunny. I'm not sure. 
But um, this is God's mirror. If I want to learn about Jesus, I've got to look here. And you know what it tells me? As I learn about Jesus, the glory that I have is going to be changed. We just celebrate Memorial Day. Would it shock you to realize that most of the people whose history and deeds we celebrate on Memorial Day didn't believe in the God of this book? Now, I told the story of one who did. Alvin York in World War I. He was a Bible-believing man. In fact, became a Baptist preacher after the war was over and invested his life in teaching the mountain people where he came from in rural Tennessee the truths of this book called the Bible. Actually met a preacher who knew him personally years ago. And all he could tell me was, yeah, he was a good preacher. <laughs> okay. Well, wait a minute. Wasn't Jesus a good preacher? You see, it says if I will behold that glory of Jesus, he'll take who I am and what I am and transfer and change it to be like his glory. See, in another passage, Romans chapter 8, let's just turn over there very quickly. Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. It says, For whom, Romans 8, 29, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn of many creatures. And we don't have time to deal with all the Calvinistic things that they've done to this verse. But what God is simply saying is those who get saved, God has predestinated that they would be conformed to the image of his Son uh, it's saying the same thing here, but we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory. God wants us to be real Christians. What's the word Christian mean? Like Christ. Imitator of Christ. Little Christ. That's what it means. They called them Christians first at Antioch. Why? Because man likes to classify everything. You've got to have a name for it, don't you? Have you ever seen a really cool car and it doesn't have any kind of names or identifier on the outside? No, they all got lots of names. Why? Because the people who made them want you to know that they did it. How many different kinds of beetles are there in this world? Who cares how many different kinds of beetles there are in this world? I don't. 
I'm really just not a Beatle fan, uh, uh, any kind, two-legged or six-legged. Uh, I just don't care for bugs, amen? But man has taken time to classify them all. And they wanted to know what these people were, and still the best way they could classify them as Christians. Isn't that an incredible testimony? The disciples of the early church were living out these words before they were written to the point that people had to call them something. Because they knew they weren't Jews. They knew they weren't uh, anything else that they could recognize. And, And so they began to do some research and they said, the only person we can find that you follow is this Jesus Christ you're talking about. That's right. I guess we'll have to call you Christians. Well, if the glory of yourself is changed into the glory of Jesus Christ, then that could be absolutely true, couldn't it? Or maybe the question this morning is, shouldn't it? You see, grace for grace. The grace to know that I'm a sinner for grace to know that Jesus is my Savior. From faith to faith, from believing in Jesus to save me from my sins, to living every day for Jesus in this wicked world in which we are inhabitants. And then, glory to glory. Learning about Jesus. Enough that when people look at me, they start seeing him. Woo-hoo! Exclamation point! Can we say amen to that? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. And Lord, we ask that as we are here today, Every one of us here has grace, but if we exchanged that grace that teaches us we're sinners for grace to believe in Jesus as our only Savior, Lord, I pray that if there be one here this morning that finds himself like that, that they would not leave until they have trusted Jesus as their Savior. Lord, if we have those that are struggling to live by faith, that they would understand that it's the grace of God that has saved them that will give them strength to live by faith. And Lord, I pray that there would be more than one, that the majority of us here this morning that are saved and wanting to live for you and to live by faith would once and again behold your glory. Learn more about Jesus to renew that desire within us that should be there by faith. so that we can behold His glory until it transforms us. Lord, we ask 
that you would work in each heart and life. And Lord, that we would surrender to you that which is yours by right of the Creator. That we would surrender to yours to you that which is yours by the means of grace that you have given us. That through faith we would live by faith until you could be glorified in our lives. Lord, we pray that you would work in hearts during this time of invitation and that our worship would be real and based upon God's Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.